episode 91, Baby Universe. And welcome back for another edition of the Syzygy Podcast. Emily, sitting opposite me at the table here in her office, there's, okay, there's two things. Number one, we're in your office, which is nice. We haven't done that terribly much. But number two, it's been a while. <laughs> yeah, I didn't actually look up to see how long it's been, but... Probably best not to. Yeah. Um, yeah, look... Embarrassingly long. Listeners, we we know, we know. We don't, we don't want to labour the point, but we know it's been, it's been a while. And look, bunch of stuff's been happening. Uh, there's, there's been Christmas. That was a while ago. There was a fairly significant COVID peak here in the UK, and that kind of took over for a while. Um, Emily, have you had COVID? No, no. I'm, I'm one of the, the rare ones. I think you must be the one left I'm that hasn't. Yeah, yeah, I got it. I got it literally over Christmas. I, I got it. I think on the like the twenty second of December, having been really careful, going to have Christmas, no COVID. Oh, no, we've all got COVID. So we had Christmas in lockdown with COVID, like many other people, but we came out of it pretty well with just, you know, some flu symptoms and the like. So we're all fine in that regard, but that's kind of happened. And then, Emily, you got really busy with work. Work's been going kind of nuts, which is really cool. Yeah, yeah. We're all back face-to-face teaching at the university, which is brilliant, and I love it, and I hated that we had to do it any other way. Mm -hmm. But it does make things rather busy. (laughs) You do have a certain look on your on your face, which is a look in your eyes, which is kind of, ah, it's all happening and it's all happening at once. And so, you know, Emily and I have been trying to get together to, to record this this episode of this podcast for a while now. And it just kept happening with I got sick, I had a cold and then I had another cold and Emily got busy. Doesn't matter. Point is, we're here now, finally back for another episode of Syzygy. So thank you to everyone out there in listener land who's been sticking with us all this time, waiting for us to to make an episode. And in particular, I'd like to give a shout out, thank you to all all of our supporters, our financial supporters through Patreon, who just continue to to support the show. Um, We've just had a website rollover on on the show, which means your support keeps those electrons flowing. So that's really, really cool. Thank you, everyone, for sticking with us. On with the show. Except before we get to today's topic, there's a couple of things that we we probably need to have a bit of a chat about. First of all, Emily, I'm old now. Yeah, yeah. You, you aged a little. I did. I did. I mean, I know everyone out there listening to this might sort of in your mind's eye. I don't know how you picture me. It's probably as a strapping sort of mid-20s hipster kind of guy. I'm not that. I'm really not. I turned 50 just before Christmas, just before I got COVID, in fact. I don't know if the two things are related. Um, and I'm, you know, kind of feeling it. <laughs> I feel I feel 50. It's just a number and a strange counting system that doesn't make any sense. It's Chris. true. It's just 50 laps around the sun, really, isn't it? Except it's still not even quite that because, you know, you've got to count all the leap seconds, etc. of the Earth's orbit. Hang so. on, does that make me older or younger? Look, I'm going to use that. I think Emily, the astronomer, has just informed me that I'm actually not 50 yet. And I'm going to go with that. Um, But just before we started recording, Emily said, oh... I might actually have something for you. Have you? Well, I got you a present because yeah. you're going to have a party. Yeah. And, and then, then you I, didn't. And then I didn't. I was going to have a big 50th birthday party and then COVID happened and the idea of getting a bunch of people together suddenly seemed really, really bad. So yeah. we didn't do that. And it's now March and I feel like I could just hang on to this and give it to your 51st, <laughs> but maybe that's just, it doesn't quite feel the same. Look, let's it? just get this over and done with. I'm 50 now. Well, open your present then. Oh, it's here, hiding here behind my screen. Hang on. It's a box. 
Yeah, my eyes turned upside down. <laughs> the um the the medium of audio podcasts doesn't really lend itself. Ooh, it's it's okay. It's got written on the top the Milky Way in a sphere. Hang on a sec. Feels a little bit Harry Potter at the moment because I'm getting something orb shaped out of a black velvet lined box. Oh, wow. I was about to say check that out, but you can't see it. I will put a picture up. This will be the chapter chapter art in the show notes. That is gorgeous. We have a crystalline sphere, glass sphere, with the Milky Way galaxy in it. Yeah. Like all of it. The real one. Wow. That's beautiful. Based Thank on you so much. Real data. Based on real so that's not just artist impression. Oh no. This is this is proper science. Wow. In the sense of what? Like where the locations of all the stars and things are. Yep, yep. And there's even the large and small Magellanic clouds. Oh, there are too. Look at that. They look like little little smudges in the in the glass, but it's not those are the Oh that's so cool. Fantastic. That is going straight to the pool room. Do you know that reference? <laughs> no, no, but I'm very oh. worried if you're going to play billiards with it. <laughs> no, no, no. That's not what I meant. Uh, if you haven't seen it yet, the Australian film The Castle, definitely worth a watch. Straight to the pool room. Oh, that's very exciting. I like that a lot. Thank you so much. Now, that's not the only bit of personal behind-the-scenes syzygy news, uh, me turning 50. But there is something which actually does influence the podcast quite uh, quite significantly in terms of personal news. Emily, what's been going on with you recently? Yeah, well, over Christmas, so, you know, you were just lying in bed feeling a bit sorry for yourself yeah, having COVID. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Turns out I was getting fatter. Oh, like Christmas largesse, was it? Well, Lots of turkey and, and booze, was that? Was turns that out it wasn't actually anything to do with Christmas. Oh. So it turns out that I'm now pregnant. Hey! Yeah. I mean, I did know this. I'm sounding very excited, but clearly, obviously, sitting here in front of me, I know, right? But you well, out there in <laughs> listener land don't necessarily know this. That's exciting. Very exciting. Wow. Yeah. A whole brand new astronomer going to be launched into the world. Launched makes it sound like a very active <laughs> process. Sorry about that. Was that easy? Yeah, well, although I don't know, that that does sound kind of a little bit painful. Anyway, that's exciting. So, like, roughly when? Yeah, are we so towards about? the end of April, right. we're welcoming our first baby into our little family. Wow, that's very, very cool. So, that may have an impact on all sorts of things from, you know, your day to day life, amount of sleep, um, entire patterns of operation during the day. But it also might have a small impact on what we do here on the podcast. And so in celebration of that, we thought, well, why don't we do a little series of appropriately themed episodes? And so we're going to start today with one of those. Emily, what are we talking about today that is completely and utterly appropriate to your current condition? Well, I guess as most people who have gone through a third trimester will know, basically your brain gets taken over by all sorts of weird hormones going a little bit crazy all the time. Yeah, so I've heard. I mean, I haven't been there myself, but I've witnessed it twice and oh boy, yeah, yeah, fun times. So I'm going to go with I've got baby brain at the moment Okay. or baby on the brain. Mm -hmm. So why not just translate that straight across into astronomy and talk about baby things in astronomy? Sounds good to me. So where do we start? What kind of baby things do you get? in astronomy well you could get all sorts of baby things we've talked or at least alluded to baby stars baby planets Mm -hmm. baby galaxies baby clusters all sorts of things stellar nurseries there's actually a lot of i guess language that astronomers use that is relevant to a life cycle we talk about the life cycle of stars and one someone tried to tell me off about that once because it would confuse small children that they think that stars were actually alive and i thought 
No. I don't. I, whoever that person was, I don't think has ever actually observed a child. You know, <laughs> kids. Kids use language and analogy all the time to make sense of the world. Why? Why not the universe? You know. Well, I, and this is this is what we use as professionals. Like yeah. Stella Nurseries is not just something we decided to call these places because it's cutesy. It's actually a descriptive word that makes sense. That's translatable across languages, and yeah, it works. And we use and it we, professionally. We intuitively understand what that means, and in a in a universe which is full of you know creation and destruction why why wouldn't you talk about that in terms of life and death and i you know i think if you anthropomorphize things too much you run the risk of i don't know putting in stuff that that doesn't exist but i don't think talking about the birth and death of stars is making them seem too lifelike. I think that's okay. So let's go mm. with this. We're going to talk about baby things yep. over the next however many weeks um, until exciting things happen. In <laughs> until suddenly life. we just stop. Yeah, you know, that, that could be sooner, it could be later, we'll, we'll see. But today we were going to start with, well, Emily, what? Where are we starting this, this baby journey through the universe? Well, I think you've got to go all the way back to the very beginning, right? Right. So I thought we would start with talking about baby universe. Baby, do you, are we talking about as in when it was first there, like like the very early epochs? What are we talking about? Yeah, so I think broadly uh, we talk about the very early universe or the primordial universe as being something like up to the first hundred million years. Hundred million years. Now that... I mean, this is one of those things, right? We often come to in this podcast. 100 million years sounds like a really, really, really long time. On the other hand, how long has it been since the Big Bang? Current estimates, 13.78, something like billion years, which is a lot of millions. Um, And so the first 100 million, did you say? Yes, yeah. you know that's a while, but and it's not a lot. To be fair, I think we're really actually going to talk about mostly the first ten seconds, right? Because <laughs> that's where all the action really happened. Okay, so that's what we're talking about today: is the universe in its infancy, cute little baby universe. You can imagine it as as baby Yoda, but in universe form. I yeah. think that that sounds that sounds good to me. And it's kind of the key milestones that the universe goes through in its growth and development. <laughs> Yes, I'm going to have a lot of analogies. There's going to be a lot of this over the coming weeks and months, folks, so strap in. Okay, so where do we start? Well, I've got a good quote. It's my favourite quote to talk about, and I use it in my lectures, and I talk to my students. It's just the best when you start talking about the, the kind of birth of the universe. So I'll read it to you now. In the beginning, the universe was created. This has made a lot of people very angry and been widely regarded as a bad move. There's Douglas Adams, right? Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah, restaurant at the end of the universe to be Very nice. Yeah. (laughs) Can I, okay, so can I pick up from that? The universe was created. I mean, if we're going to go with this birth analogy, you know, one of the questions that often comes up, particularly from kids, is, you know, where do babies come from? So can we just throw that one out there, put it on the table, Emily? Where the universe come from? Well, this is going to be, there's two ways you can go down the road to answering this. And I'll start with one way. And then I think we're going to spend most of the time in the podcast and how we're going to answer this the second way, which is kind of the sciencey. We're going to talk about the Big Bang and what that means and so on and so on. But there's actually kind of a very um, a philosophical thing when you can say the universe began at the point that time t equals zero, let's say, right? Why the universe began and exactly how the universe began and what happened before it 
are all complete unknowns to science. Or, or indeed, what that question even means. Like, how, how can you even talk about before if that's where time started? Yeah, exactly. You know, if, if space and time are one and the same, it's, it's all part of, you know, the four-dimensional space-time of Einsteinian stuff. Like, if it began then, that's what time equals zero means, then... What does before even mean? These are big questions. Yeah, and that's why I'm saying they're more in the philosophical realm. Yeah, now, and science just goes, yeah, good question. Anyway, <coughs> moving on. Yeah, and in some ways science doesn't care. Anything that happened you know, before the Big Bang is irrelevant to the science that we use in the universe around us today. doesn't matter. So you can either take that approach and think, we're just going to put that over there. It's somebody else's problem. Um, or indeed, you can leave that open to interpretation about your own creation faith if you want to. So there's a lot of space in there to build in whatever you want to believe about what was maybe before there was a universe, if there was a before, how it happened, who did it, perhaps, etc. Cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, there's an interesting angle on that from the point of view of theoretical physics, you know, people and cosmology, people who are looking at like, can we find the equation? You know, put everything together and all of the particle physics and all of the general relativity, all of that together into the big ultimate question that describes, or equation that describes everything, the theory that describes everything. And maybe in that, the universe is, is inevitable. These are the sorts of things that you hear physicists and cosmologists talking about, that the mathematics will lead the way. But, I mean, it's all when it comes down to it. That's There's so much philosophy and personal sort of belief in the 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 centrality of of sort of symmetry and beauty and all of that it all really comes down to look just follow whatever your personal beliefs and and, and faith requires you to follow because when we we don't have enough mm. to to guide us at that point yeah so all we can say is it happened then what yeah well basically there's just one finite point where the universe began in terms of the scientific understanding of the universe. And if you want to think about things before then, that's up to you. But this science goes from this particular point. And this particular point, actually, I've sort of said it's kind of T equals zero. It's actually not right. quite, actually. It's almost T equals zero? It's it's almost T equals T almost zero. zero. But it's not exactly T equals zero. So maybe we should start from actually saying what we think the whole concept is of the Big Bang, and then we'll come back to this. Okay, that sounds good. Because a Big Bang second. is easily said. But, yes. you know, it's doing a lot of heavy lifting there. There's a lot going on in a Big Bang. So Yeah, well, even the name itself was supposed to be a derogatory yeah, term, wasn't Yeah, it, it was. Who who came up with that? Who was that? Oh, I have to look have to look up the name. It wasn't Zwicky, was it? It it's, was, yeah, it was um, basically a criticism of yeah. the very earliest ideas. And yeah, like you think the universe came from some kind of Big Bang and everyone went, that's a great, like, write that down. That's a cracker. <laughs> and ever since, that's what it's been. So, so basically the Big Bang is a description of how the universe began and from a physics and science point of view. Um, we have good evidence for the Big Bang. I think that's important to note at this point. We have okay. really solid evidence around us that we can draw on and say, yeah, this thing happened. Like what sort of thing? I mean, what... Why don't we start there, at least, is like, how do we know? Well, there's two very fundamental pieces of evidence, and then there's a few supplementary ones. I think if we just talk about the two fundamental ones, because sure. they're enough on their own to actually We could be here you. for a very long time. Yeah. So the first one, I think, is um, Hubble's Law. And this is an interesting um, sort of history that goes behind Hubble's Law, because 
Hubble was an astronomer working in the 1920s, 1930s. He was looking at galaxies. Um, he did all sorts of things. And, of course, Hubble Space Telescope is named after some of the work he did, although it's very important that we recognise it wasn't just him. He was a little bit of a kind of figurehead and in some ways a chauvinistic one who had a lot of other people supporting the research that he did, including women and other people. Yeah. And important to mention on International yeah. Women's Day. I, I was about to say, like, this is a really good day to just mention that sometimes the head bloke gets all the attention. Yeah. And actually there's a lot of people, and particularly a lot of women, who are doing all the work in the background. So... So one of those. It's, his, it's his named after him, but yeah, loads of people contributed to this body of work. Um, and so he was looking at galaxies and he was measuring the, how, the velocities of galaxies and their distances. And what he noticed is that galaxies that are further away from us are moving away from us faster. Right. And, okay, importantly to remember... Like, it's around about this time that we actually learned that there are even galaxies. Yeah, exactly. Right? So, hey, there are galaxies other than ours. Like, we're in one, and there are these other ones, and the ones further away are moving away from us faster than the ones closer. Like, it, it's not just random motion. They should be all going in different directions. But they're moving away, and it's faster the further away you go. What does that mean? Well, <laughs> does it mean that we smell really, really bad? Like everyone's running away from us, Emily. This is not good. No, this uh, and this is an observational effect. And it's actually, it's nothing to do with the fact that we are in some kind of preferred location in the universe. You could be on any of galaxy that you want in the universe and you will observe exactly the same thing. Um, and what's going on is actually that the universe is expanding is the bottom line here. So... The further away that you are, the more space there is in between us and that galaxy. Space is the thing that's expanding. So the more space, more expansion, moving right, faster. Right, right. I mean, the analogy that you often see is, you know, imagine you're a you're a, a bit of dried fruit in front of, in, in inside a, a fruit cake or something that's cooking in the oven. And as the as the cake's expanding as it's cooking, you know, every bit of you know raisin or currant or something in there will see all of the other bits moving away from it because the cake itself is expanding. Well, the cake is space, and we're on a little bit of raisin in the universe, and we see all the other raisins moving away from us because of that expansion. But it's not that we're the centre of the cake mm. and everything's moving away from us. Everyone else, all the other raisins, would see exactly the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a big thing to get your head around, and there's loads of implications, and we'll have to spend another four or five episodes about what the other implications of this. But the critical one for today is that if things are expanding and moving away from each other, yep. then in the past, they were closer. Play that, play that movie backwards and everything comes towards each other. And that was the basic calculation, wasn't it? It was, oh, well, hang on. We could actually just directly work out how long ago we were all piled on top of each other. Yeah, because all you need to do is measure the rate of that expansion yep. and then you turn it upside down and then suddenly you have, when was everything in the same place yeah taking a movie of the cake baking you run it backwards and when does that all go back into the gloop that you put in the oven in the first place and what was the number that they came up with first of it was all? about 13.5 13.6 billion years all oh, so, right from yeah. the very beginning yeah so it was, it was really wow well it depends on what value you, of you know how good your measurement was of the, the hubble constant we call it uh the acceleration yeah. rate um and yeah if you take the, the sort of we're not great at measuring this this value exactly but we can get it ballpark and if you just turn it upside down then that's exactly where you end up yeah okay so that you said there were a couple of main sort of fundamental bits of evidence one of them is everything's rushing away from us the further away you are the faster it's going wind that tape backwards and you get 
everything clumped together. And so there must have been a big bang that pushed everything apart. And that's where that came from, yep. right? That was the idea. You know, initially, as you said, people sort of poo-pooing the idea, saying, what are you saying, that the universe just exploded in some kind of big bangs? Yeah, 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 that's, that's exactly what we're saying. Yeah, and in some ways I think we take that thought for granted now. We know that the universe evolves and changed and has a finite yeah. lifetime, whereas, you know, 100 years ago, everyone just shocking. assumed that the universe has just been here forever. It's always yeah. going to be here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was one of the fundamental assumptions was, well, the universe is clearly static, like nothing on the broad side, you know, scale of the universe, nothing's really changing. So that's important. We hang on to that one. So no, 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 <laughs> no, 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 very much not that. Yeah, massive paradigm shift. There. Yeah. Um, and the second piece of really strong evidence for the Big Bang is something called the cosmic microwave background. Right. Which I think we've talked about a few times. I we did actually we have. have a whole episode. Yeah. On it. yeah, yeah, yeah. Really good. So if you want to, you know, find out all the deep, dark, dirty secrets of the cosmic microwave background. There will be a link in the show notes to the exact episode. Yeah. But the summary is that we have this background of radiation that runs through the entire universe that's at very, very um, sort of low frequency or uh, microwaves, actually. As, as yeah. in the name. Hence the name, yeah. Yep. Um, which indicates that there was basically a single time in the universe where photons suddenly became free to move around the universe. And since that point, they've been able to, they've sort of expanded with the universe and cooled down as, and become these microwave photons. Yeah. Now, this is, this is kind of subtle. And again, we went through it in, in detail in that episode. But if I remember correctly, the idea was that back when the universe was really young, it was really hot because everything was squeezed together, right? Really, really hot, which meant that you couldn't have like atoms. You could have all the bits of atoms, the electrons and protons and a few neutrons and so on. But they were all like, they weren't joined together to make atoms. They weren't bound together. And so you got a lot of charges, electric charges racing around at, at really high energy. And any electromagnetic radiation, any light would see those charges and sort of bounce off them. And so the universe is just this soup of, of radiation and, and matter. And then as it cooled, it got to the point where the atoms could form. Like the electrons and the protons could sort of stick together to make, to make atoms. And suddenly, like in a really relatively short period of time, the universe went from being this opaque soup where the light's bouncing around to being effectively transparent because all those charges kind of went away because the positives and negatives joined together. And so the universe is basically then neutral and the light could just pass through. And the cosmic microwave background, if I've got this right, is what's left over from that moment, that when all the light went off yeah. through the universe and it's been sort of slowly cooling down ever since. But we can still see it, yeah, which is amazing. And the incredible thing is it's exactly the same no matter where you look in the sky. So it's, it's not that it comes from a particular direction and you can say, hey, the Big Bang happened over there because that wouldn't work anyway. Right, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. It's, it's everywhere because the Big Bang happened everywhere yeah. and the whole universe just released these photons everywhere yeah. in the universe I mean, there are the tiny little changes that can tell you an enormous amount about sort of the, the structure of the universe. But the, you know, the fundamental idea is to, within a small correction, it is the same everywhere. And it's not just, hey, that there's this radiation and it's the same everywhere, but it is exactly the temperature that you would expect it to be if the universe has been expanding 
for 13.8 or whatever it is, billion years. Yeah. Like, it's a really, really amazing piece of data. It's beautiful. Yeah, you couldn't have wished. It's one of the most amazing, I think, matches between observational data and the theory that predicted its existence. It's just one of those moments where you're like, excellent, case closed, close the textbook, we've done it. And what else could this have been? Like, it just fits the Big Bang model so well. That it's like, no, nope, we, we've done that one. That's, yeah. <laughs> we're pretty happy with this idea. So we've got the, the galaxies rushing away from us, the Hubble law thing, right? Yeah. We've got the cosmic microwave background and all of this put together, plus, as you said, a number of other really good pieces of evidence that we won't go into today. No. Um, says Big Bang happened. Yep. Fantastic. All right. Where do we go from here? Should we talk about the very, very infant universe. Yeah. Now we're going to talk about the early early universe. And in the very early universe, we're going to talk about four different forces. And I think it's really important to just let you know what those are to sort of up front so that when we start sort of pulling them out, then it kind of makes a bit more sense. Might get a bit jargony, you reckon? Possibly, yeah. but we'll try and we'll try and we'll try and down. reel it in. Yeah. So in the universe around us today, we have four fundamental forces. Come on. You, All right. Your, okay. Well, gravity. Yes. Gravity is a big one. Uh, and on the scale of the universe, like that is the big one. That yep. That's the thing that keeps everything together. And also the weakest one. Interesting. Well, yeah. Yeah, it is. But that's mainly because all the others are acting at such close range that they clump everything together. Right. Mm. So you've got gravity mm-hmm. and then you've got electromagnetism, which is positive and negative charges. Mm-hmm. Right. Which stick together to make atoms. Yep. Yep. And that's chemistry that's all of chemistry everything <laughs> and in fact it's, it's basically almost everything that we see and experience around us it's yeah. it's light it's chemistry it's atoms it's it's everything right yeah. and then there are two nuclear forces which we very rarely see one is the weak nuclear force mm-hmm. which is actually you can combine that together with electromagnetism to make one unified theory called electroweak, but that's a story for another time, and we've probably already got a podcast on that anyway. Um, but that's about um, uh, certain fairly rare interactions between particles, things like neutrinos and certain nuclear decays. Yeah. Right? And so that's the weak nuclear force. And then there's the strong nuclear force, which ultimately is responsible for sticking the nucleus of the atom together. The protons and neutrons inside the nucleus, like protons, positive charge, shouldn't stick together. They should repel. But there's a stronger force. What do we call that? I don't know. The strong force. And they stick the protons and the neutrons together to make the nucleus. So that's the four. Gravity, electromagnetism, weak and strong. Yeah. Right. So we see four in the universe around us today. Yep. Brilliant. There used to only be one, we uh-huh. think, force. <laughs> that would have been simpler. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and during the very early evolution of the universe, that one fundamental force, whatever you want to call it, split into these four ones at different times. And we'll go through a bit what you know when these different changes happen because they're really important. But basically, we go from one to four, and that's the evolutionary history of force in the universe. Yeah. Do we do we know that? Like, how do we? Well, to be fair, we we know that it goes down to two. We know that we can. Build, yeah. So we know that the, the three of them did originate from the single force. Well, we sort of know that. <laughs> we think we know that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, whether the fourth one was ever actually part of that is, I guess you could say, up for debate. It's probably one of the biggest theoretical physics yeah, challenges it's tricky. in existence. I mean, the, the whole sort of bringing together of forces like, is a really quite an old idea. You know, with electricity and magnetism, we never thought were the same thing. And then it turns out, no, it isn't the same. Just different sides of the same coin. It's electromagnetism. 
And then we were able to combine together, theoretically, the the weak nuclear force and electromagnetism. And it's it's two different sides of the same thing. We just see them playing out in different ways in the, in the world. And so that gives us a lot of confidence in physics that maybe we can keep going with that. The strong nuclear force, we haven't yet found a way to do that, but there's a lot of ideas going around yeah. and string theory is, is in there. and, and What's and called also. grand unification theory, yeah, isn't yeah, yeah. it? Yeah. Which um, sounds very impressive, doesn't yeah, it? But really hard. You know, yeah. that's that's been the promise for best part of what, like 40 or maybe 50 years now is we can do this. We've done it with all these others. Surely we just crowbar this one. No, it's really, really hard. And then there's gravity and gravity is different. It operates in such a fundamentally different way yeah. to all the rest of the forces that I think, okay, I say that we can go back to one. Maybe that's more of a philosophical idea because we want we want it we to. We want it to be true. Because that's, yeah. we're human and we like the idea of simplicity. And, yeah. and also everything that we've seen for the last 150 years of physics has been in that direction, right? Electricity and magnetism and the weak nuclear force. It's all saying the universe operates this way and it's getting simpler. You know, we're combining disparate ideas together into, no, that's that's the one thing. We can write down one equation that describes all of this stuff. Just keep that process going and we'll get there. It might not happen. Might not. But it might. Yeah. So, yeah, so whilst we have some reasonable ideas, I would say, well, some of them are reasonable. Um, <laughs> some of them are That we might be able to combine crazy. into the grand, unifi grand unification theory. Three of the forces, the fourth one, I don't, it's, uh, no one yeah. has any clue. No, but people are working on it, quantum gravity and all sorts of things. It's hard. It's yeah. hard in ways that we can't even begin to describe, but it's hard. But let's spin the dial around the other way and actually okay. go from sort of zero to when these forces started to appear in okay. the universe. So let's take, let's take as red that... Yep. We had a force, yep. a super force. Yep. And this was at the time where we, which we call the singularity. Now, singularity is a mathematical concept that uh, mathematicians love, physicists hate, and astronomers just kind of ignore. <laughs> That's my summary anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. nice one. Why do, what, what's, the, what's the problem with it? Why do, why do the ma mathematicians love it, but the physicists well, hate it? mathematicians like working with constructs like infinity. So a uh, singularity is infinite stuff like so for a black hole it's infinite density in a black hole and actually for the universe in the big bang we're talking about infinite density again yeah in a single point so infinite stuff in non in zero space it's, yeah yeah, yeah. dividing I mean, by zero is not really a you thing often you're hear supposed people, to do but you often hear people talking about the scientists talking about you know the the laws of physics break down inside black holes and stuff and that's that's what they're saying is that you know you can calculate using the equations that we know from Einstein and, and others um, you know what what gravity does to mass and energy how it all fits together in the vicinity of a black hole you know when when the mass density gets so much that not even light nothing can escape great okay that's fine that all sorts out nicely in the mathematics but what's actually happening down inside there is still an absolute mystery because the math says, well, it'll just keep collapsing down until it reaches a singularity, that, that you get an infinitely dense point. And math stops working at that point. As you said, you know, you start dividing by zeros all over the place. It just, we can't deal with it. We don't know what that means. So there's lots of theories around, well, maybe that doesn't happen. Maybe the physics does change or break or something before that point and something else kicks in. But we don't know. We have no idea. And that's just a black hole, yeah. you know. Try winding it back to the beginning of the universe. We have no, no idea. But, yeah, 
it's complex. Yeah. So physicists don't really like the, the idea that their physics is not working in these no, <laughs> situations. No, no. So. And the astronomers just, let's ignore that and move on. <laughs> yeah. Move forward well, in time. We sort of say, you know, that's a black hole. Cool. Now, what, does it, what effect does that have yeah. on its surrounds yeah. and what, what can, can we, we learn measure? from it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, and maybe that's the same here with the, um, the singularity. Anyway, so we have this thing, whatever, that is then going to cause the uh, universe to come into existence. Now, I said that there is a time which is not actually zero time where physics starts. Right. And that time is called the Planck time. Mm-hmm. Um, now, we, I don't think we've talked a lot about quantum physics. But... No, we, it sort of enters every once in a while and I get very excited. But yeah. yeah, so the Planck time is the smallest unit of time that we can possibly ever observe. It's a fundamental limit to... How, what we can actually learn about the universe. And this is one of the concepts in quantum physics that makes people very uncomfortable. Because, <laughs> you know, so we talk about quantum physics, for example, there are things, there is a Planck length, which is the smallest unit of length that we can ever measure. Um, you think we've got microscopes. We've got really great microscopes. We can just look at things that are smaller and smaller and smaller. Yeah, and like smaller. we can see atoms. We can see we can see bits of atoms. Yeah, uh, and we can just build better, better microscopes Surely. if we want to see smaller things, yeah. right? Yeah. But the uncomfortable thing is there is a fundamental limit to how small you can go, and it's called the Planck length because after that, quantum physics takes over and things are probabilistic rather than actually a particle sitting on the table here that yeah. we can actually the look whole at. notion of length just ceases to exist at you know in in a, and around the planck length that mm. it's it's so small that you it doesn't even make sense it's not that it's so small it's the level at which the the principles of quantum physics say it doesn't even make sense to to think about length at, yeah. this, at this distance scale and the planck time's kind of similar that what even is time at this at this limit. Yeah. The good thing is we don't have to worry about it terribly much. It's a very small number. Mm. Um, so the Planck time comes actually from the Planck length. Uh, it's the time taken for light to travel a distance of the Planck length. And, you know, the Planck length is small. It is, really small. It's really small. Like a lot smaller than an atom. Yeah. yeah. And light travels really fast. Yeah, yeah. So the Planck time is really small. It's about, uh, well, I've got 5.4 times 10 to the minus 44 seconds. Now that's really small. 10 to the minus 44 is... Lot lot of zeros after the decimal point, and then some numbers like huge huge number of zeros, which means it's a tiny 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 fraction. And normally you could just say, look, surely that's effectively zero. But the difference between effectively zero and actually zero means a lot to people like cosmologists yes. and physicists. Like it's not zero. It's almost zero, but it's not zero. And the awkward thing is, it's at the Planck time that we think that the first separation of our forces may have happened, oh. which is the separation of gravity from what is called the electronuclear force. Right. So electronuclear contains the strong force, the weak force, and electromagnetism all, all bundled into one. Right. And I can sort of maybe intuitively, speaking as someone who has no idea what he's talking about because he's never studied these things, but if the Planck length and the Planck time is basically where quantum physics says, well, maybe you can start thinking about space and time as things, you know, below that you can't, above that you can, then something like general relativity, which is all about space and time, I can see how that would kind of, well, we're here now, <laughs> you know, <laughs> we're beyond the Planck length, general relativity takes over, here we are, we exist now. So yeah. that makes sense, sure. And I guess if we're going to go with analogies, maybe that's, I mean, I haven't given birth yet, 
before, but I'm told that maybe that's kind of the bit up until then that you just don't remember. (laughs) (laughs) That's the bit that's wiped out of existence for you. (laughs) And then your memory just sort of kicks in at one particular point. How was your childbirth? Oh, look, I don't remember anything up until this point. Everything after that, clear, vivid memory. But up until that point, got nothing for you. Yeah, okay. Let's go with that. Yeah. We'll talk to you in a couple of months' time, see how that worked out. (laughs) Well, hopefully you don't remember the bad bits. Well, exactly, yeah. So, yeah, so that's the plank type. Now, from then on in, so we're starting in, this is very, very early universe. Like we're talking, what, the tiniest fractions of a second. Um, This is kind of what we call the grand unification era. And we call that the grand unification era because this force, this electronuclear force is kind of what we're trying to figure out using grand unification theory, as we talked about before. And that carries on for a little while, maybe up until kind of, 10 to the minus 36 seconds. So we've gone from 10 to the minus 44 all the way up to 10 to minus 36 seconds. Well, it's like, wow, that's a huge amount of time. No, it's not. It's a tiny, tiny amount of time. But again, in, in terms of physics, it doesn't matter. You know, that's, that's what, eight orders of magnitude. That's 800, sorry, uh, 100 million times, you know, longer, which yeah. is a lot. Yeah. Okay. So even though it's a tiny fraction of a second, a lot can happen in that time, including entire forces splitting apart from each other. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, indeed. And maybe that's kind of the first time you get a cuddle with your your little baby. First little cuddle. Now, something very exciting happens at 10 to the minus 36 seconds, which has a profound impact on the universe today. What's that? Well, the universe then goes through its first growth spurt. Ooh. I do like this analogy. This is really working. Although if that's happening just after you give your baby its first cuddle, I think you're in for an interesting time. But yeah, let's go. Time is relative. Sure, sure, sure. So big growth spurt. Now, that's really understating it. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) the universe goes through the biggest growth spurt that we could. Oh, yeah possibly even imagine it's a period called inflation and so, even that doesn't capture it really does no it? no it's really bad so in this period first of all we got the next separation of forces that happens so the strong force and the electro weak force separate out mm-hmm. um and then maybe that triggers inflation we're not really quite sure what the relationship is there but at least from that point on we have inflation where the universe grows by a factor of 10 to the 26 which is again we're, we're throwing around these big numbers 10 to the 26 is a stupidly big number and so even if you start with something really really small if you increase that 10 to the 26 times right you double it and double it and double it that's an enormous amount. It's huge. So, can we put any kind of sizes on this? Like yeah, we... well, we can do it in scale so that we're more appreciative of, shall sure. we say? So that means if you took something that was about a nanometer. Okay, and a nanometer—that's ten to the minus nine of a meter. That's yeah. a billionth of a meter. To put that in context, that's about ten atoms across. Yeah. Right. So, or if you tend to take your hair, I think it's like one hundredth the width of your hair. Sure. Something yeah. Something like that. Yeah. It's small. That would expand or inflate to the size of ten light years. That's quite big. <laughs> <laughs> so, going for something which is led to to all intents and purposes a few atoms, you know, a small molecule, to something which is ten light years which is a long way. Yeah, so that's yeah. further than the nearest star. Yeah. 
Yeah. So inflation then is kind of one of those, it's like Big Bang, you know? Mm. What happened in that period of time? Oh, universe inflated. Oh, really? How much? Oh, a lot. <laughs> quite, quite a lot, actually. And yeah. it's even worse than that. It happened quite quickly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it happened somewhere between 10 to the minus 36 seconds and 10 to the minus 33 seconds after so, the Big Bang. like in, in a factor of a thousand, it's increased in size by billions and billions and billions and billions. That would have been fun. That's a fun ride. It's an interesting thing. We don't know what caused inflation. We do see evidence of it. And actually, the cosmic microwave background is a huge part of the evidence that we see. But actually, the whole universe around us is got this kind of hangover from inflation and the re the hangover is that the universe actually looks really similar no matter where you look yeah so the cosmic microwave background is basically the same in every direction galaxies the structure of the universe is basically the same in every direction and the only way you can really explain that is if it inflated so quickly that it just didn't have time to form diverse structure basically is inflation kind of one of those ideas? Like I got, I know that there are a lot of theorists, and some of them may throw something at me. But I don't know. I mean, again, this is I haven't. I'm not a cosmologist. I don't know. Um, it it's always struck me that inflation is one of those explanations for something where we don't really have a mechanism for it. We really don't understand it. We can throw like cosmologists like to throw around ideas, but we don't know. But it's explaining something we observe in terms of something really quite bizarre that we think might be true. And the, and the thing that we're explaining is, as you just said, that the universe is really uniform and we wouldn't expect that. You know, in the very early universe, there should have been, you know, lumpiness. There should have been ultimately really, really small, what we call quantum fluctuations. It should have been a bit more of this over here and a bit less of this over here. And that would have turned into, hey, look, the universe is really clumpy. And it's not. It's really not on grand scales. And so we explain that with, oh, well, the universe must have had this crazy inflation. Is that like, does that sort of fit with what you... I think so, yeah. But it also, I mean, we can kind of put it in that epoch as well because we. this is, again, the separation of force. So it's kind of suspicious that yeah. we think this happened at the same time as a separation of forces that we also don't understand. So it's kind of, here's the box of weird stuff that happened in the early universe the fact that two things that are, seem quite distinct mm. are both in that same Seems box a bit shady doesn't it yeah, yeah it yeah. doesn't seem coincidental to me but. yeah so i mean the the way physicists and cosmologists approach that is all right well let's see if we can come up with mechanisms and ways that this can happen but meanwhile infl inflation has kind of become like canon right it's 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 there it's something that we pretty sure has happened yeah yeah which is nuts because as we mentioned it was a really big deal. <laughs> big growth spurt there. Indeed, yeah. So, okay, well, now we're starting to enter so maybe some stages of the universe that become a little bit more familiar, particularly to a traditional particle physics, physicist, shall we say. So we enter the electroweak epoch. So the electroweak force, the combination of electromagnetism and the weak nuclear force, we kind of understand that reasonably well. Yeah, I mean, we've actually got the equations for it and everything. That's yeah. the one we've nailed down back in the 70s. 60s yeah. and 70s. So entering the realm of familiarity. Um, also, we have, this is the era of the Higgs boson mm -hmm. coming into existence. So that's quite cool. We know that about both that boson. We've measured it. We've found it. It's, yeah. all, it's all that's, very exciting. That's the one that's responsible for what we know as mass. Yeah. Yeah. So we can just carry on sort of going through all that kind of, that sort of phase, if you like. Um, so maybe if we talked about, I don't know, 
I'm maybe mixing up my timelines of analogies a little bit here, but if we talked about the separation of the strong and the electroweak forces, maybe like a child's milestone of sitting up, then if we get the, sep- the next separation we're looking for, which is the final one of the weak force and the electromagnetism, might be them sort of starting to crawl around. Starting and- to crawl and, and sort of, you know, find... When, when a child gets mobile, right? And this is, you'll, you'll discover this, Emily. When a child gets mobile, that's where you go from, oh, isn't it cute? Look, the child's beginning to learn how to do stuff to, oh, my God, the child's learning to get... Close that door. Quick, look out for the stairs. Like, suddenly it's, oh, we've got to actually be really, really careful here. Um, so maybe, yeah, maybe there's a good analogy there in the universe. <laughs> maybe, yeah. So this sort of um, this whole epoch lasts until kind of up until about 10 to the minus 12 seconds. Um, and then we sort of start getting some quarks coming in or quarks, whichever way you like to pronounce that. So, you know, there's a few kind of steps. And we're, again, we're entering the realm of more and more familiarity to particularly the particle physics or anyone who's studied physics. Yeah. Physics. The universe as we know it is beginning to look a little bit familiar. Yeah. So quarks are starting to come into existence now and they are the kind of fundamental building blocks of our uh, fundamental building blocks of atoms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like if you look inside an atom, you've got the electrons whizzing around the outside and in the nucleus, you've got the protons and neutrons. But we discovered many decades ago that actually there's another layer inside that, that inside the protons and neutrons, there are these, as, as I like to call them, quarks, quarks, um, which to the best of our knowledge so far, those are the fundamental bits that they combine together uh, to make the protons and neutrons. And then the protons and neutrons make the nucleus of the atom and, yeah. and so on. So that's around about a picosecond and after the Big Bang. It doesn't sound like very long, does it? No, I mean, we're still talking really, really short periods of time here. Yeah. Uh, but then we go into the Hadron Epoch. So this is where the universe is starting to, like, I, again, I keep saying take more shape, take a more familiar thing. But remember, during this whole process, what's happening is the universe started off super, super hot. And as it's expanded, it's cooled. And it's that cooling process that's allowing these new particles to sort of start to form. Yeah, that's the key. You know, the, the hotter you get the more energy you've got crammed into a, a small space, the more the, 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 the definition between these different parts disappears. You know, the forces combine together. You, you can't have, you know, quarks combining together to make protons and neutrons. It's just too energetic. You've just got a soup of stuff. Energetic enough, you don't even have quarks. They're just sort of quickly popping in and out of existence, but you've just got this wash of force. But as it cools, you do get to a point where, oh, hang on, we can do this now. Hmm. Yeah. So we're cooling, cooling down, and we're cooling down, and we get to the Hadron Epoch, so amount of a microsecond now. So mm-hmm. this is even like normal units of time that we're, yeah, yeah. we're dealing with This now. is something sensible now. Yeah. And, and the Hadrons are when the quarks combine together, so they can stick together, to make... Um, they can either combine together in pairs, so a quark and an antiquark, and that can make something called a meson, or they can make combine together in threes to make things like protons and neutrons. And there's a whole bunch of other hadrons which we we don't come across in everyday life. But those are the examples that we that we kind of know about, you know in our world around us, protons, neutrons, things like that. Yeah, and the most important one I'd argue that forms around here is the proton, hmm. because to an astronomer, it's, protons aren't protons. Protons are nuclei of hydrogen right yes the simplest element the simplest atom hydrogen is a proton with an electron going around it you know orbiting around it but if you take the electron away then you've got a hydrogen nucleus which Mm. is just a proton to everyone else yeah 
But it's hydrogen. Yeah. <laughs> to astronomers. Hydrogen. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and when the astronomers look at it, they go, no, wait, that's like most of the universe or much exactly. of the universe. Yeah, yeah. So the very, very first part of what we now say is, you know, the majority of the elements that we see in the universe. Right. Hydrogen. So that's where that begins, yeah. the hadronic period. So we go to the lepton epoch from mm -hmm. there, which is getting up to a second. Now, leptons, leptons are kind of in particle physics. They're sort of the, the, the other side of the coin. You've got the, the quarks, which can make the hadrons and things. And then you've got the leptons, which are things like electrons. And then electrons have got heavier cousins called muons and tauons. Um, and they're just like electrons, only bigger and heavier. And we don't really know why, but they, they do exist. But you've also got neutrinos. You know, every time you make an electron, it all happens through the weak nuclear force. And it's complicated. We'll leave that aside. But every time you do make an electron, you also make a neutrino which are weird, weird particles, almost no mass, no charge whizzing off across the universe, huge numbers of them coming from nuclear reactions in the sun right now, passing straight through us, just crazy numbers of these things that we almost never see, but they're there. And yeah. So those are leptons, the electron things and the neutrino things. Yeah. So I guess from an astronomy point of view, first of all, we get excited because there's now electrons. Yay. So now we've got the building blocks of atoms. Yep. So we've got protons and electrons. They're not atoms yet. No. But they but will, we're on the way. We're all, yep. They will become atoms. Um, and neutrinos are actually quite important to astronomy as well. Um, they've kind of, I would say, were they the first multi-messenger kind of particle that we really started looking at in the universe? How do you mean multi-messenger? So astronomy's been steeped in history of using photons as the primary way like we look we see right. light, light coming from the universe yeah. whether that lights in the optical x-rays gamma rays radio whatever it's all light sure and that's been the way that we've studied the universe historically uh, until we started looking at actually what are some other messengers what are the other information carriers that we could find and i think neutrinos might be one of the first ones in terms of multi-messenger. Right. What are the others? What what else can you use? So we've now also got gravitational waves. Right, of course, yeah, with the colliding black holes and things like that. Yeah. yeah. And we do have a few, it's arguable whether we're getting muons or not, but other particles potentially. Yeah. Things like cosmic rays. I mean, a yeah. lot of that is electromagnetic radiation, but there's also other particles coming out. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So in modern astronomy, we don't rely just on photons. It's yeah. still the vast majority of the data that we do is, is photon-based, but there are these other. But neutrinos, really interesting, really hard to spot, but it doesn't mean it's impossible. You mm. can do it. Yeah, yeah, we have massive detectors that we yeah. can pick up these things in. Cool. So we get those. Now, then we go to, I guess, where my sort of um, understanding really starts to kick in. We start to get photons, mm -hmm. which are the building blocks of light. So the little carriers of light, uh, they start around sort of 10 seconds after the Big Bang. Which is, I find that really interesting because we kind of see photons. I, I imagine light as being... Just so fundamental. Like it's it's surely from the absolute, like from T equals zero, surely there was light. But the notion of, well, photons as a thing in the universe traveling across whatever the baby universe looked like at the time only really became a thing after that relatively very long period of time. It's kind of fascinating. Yeah. No, they're not the first things that come in the universe mm. by a long shot. Mm. Um, and also at this time, we've got Big Bang nuclear synthesis which is if you imagine the fusion reactions that we happen in the sun, you know that we got hydrogen fusing to helium, right, yep. in the sun. There's actually a bunch of other reactions that go on in stars, different synthesis. You can synthesize helium to carbon and all these kind of all other sorts things. of stuff. Yeah. But that's all happening at the nucleus. So the nuclei are sort of interacting with each other and fusing and so on. Um, but that's also happened at the Big Bang. 
So we get big bang nucleosynthesis, which is when we had hydrogen uh, nuclei. We also had helium nuclei, tiny bit of lithium, but beryllium. Just just the very simple elements were starting to come together right, at this point. Right. And again, because you know, like we're, we're starting to make these things, like we've got the protons and, and neutrons and, and other stuff all flinging around all over the place with loads of energy. But as we're cooling down, because we're still expanding a lot at this point, um, cooling down, it gets to the point where, well, they're bashing together because they're so energetic and they're so tightly sort of, you know, um, squeezed in that there's sufficient energy for them to overcome the fact that they would normally push each other apart, but it's not so energetic that they can't then stick. Mm. You know, if it was too hot, they would just bounce off again. But cool, and, uh, cool down enough, it's like, hey, hang on, these are stuck together now. We've just made a nucleus. Look at that. That's awesome. Yeah, quite cool, isn't it? Yeah. And the electrons at this point are still just swimming around doing their own thing. Right? Yeah, because yeah, so way too energetic to yeah. have atoms yet. This is a plasma, right? Yeah. It's just nuclei swimming around in electrons. So, and fundamentally, it doesn't behave that differently to, say, the plasma that's in the interior of the sun. Yeah, we and we see that all the time in the universe. Plasma's really yeah. common. But then we get to the, I guess, the, the build-up. We've been trying to get to this moment, right? <laughs> the bit where we actually form atoms. So it takes a while for the universe to cool down enough for these atoms to start to form. And so we're now going to skip from maybe 10 seconds after the Big Bang when we had this nuclear synthesis. It takes another 380,000 years <laughs> for the universe to cool enough to make an atom. Mind you, I mean, look, that sounds like a really long time. But then remember at the very beginning, we started at the Planck time which was what 10 to the minus 44 and then we had like a hundred million like order like order of magnitude of a hundred million to get to the, the the next epoch like just because the times sound big in our human time scales in terms of years it's it's all the same kind of thing it's yeah. just a big jump right yeah, yeah exactly yeah. yeah but then in terms of orders of magnitude it's probably not so much no, of a jump as what we've not much at all we've done in other yeah. sections yeah so what happened then atoms fall atoms cool yeah so atoms our nuclei form. captured these electrons which made them into neutral atoms so you had positive nuclei uh, negative electrons kicking around and then you now got a neutral yeah um sort of universe which as we said before like that's a huge deal right mm. because there's a big difference between a universe filled with charged stuff and a universe filled with charged stuff but which is now bound together to make neutral things basically unless you're really looking at one of those particles really closely everything in the universe suddenly becomes electrically neutral it's not there yeah electrically anymore the way I think about it is, you know, those really fancy bathroom mirrors where you pass an electric charge. Uh, sorry, not mirrors, uh, windows. <laughs> yeah. And so you pass an electric charge actually through the window and it becomes foggy. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so you can sort of flick a switch and the bathroom mirror becomes frosted. Yeah. Um, and that's what the universe was like before recombination or the formation of atoms. But then it's really like flicking the switch and then suddenly everything becomes transparent right. and you clear. You flick the switch the other way and the window is suddenly clear. Yeah. And the light can just go wow through the universe. And as we said, that's what we see now with the cosmic microwave background. That leftover radiation was bouncing around, bouncing around, bouncing around, bouncing around. And the, the crucial part about that, as far as our understanding of the universe is concerned, before that moment... The light bouncing around couldn't really carry terribly much information at all for any distance about what was going on, right? When a photon bounces off 
you know, a particle and then bounces somewhere else. It carries a small amount. Oh, I just bounced off a proton. Fantastic. I'm going this way. But then it almost instantly bounces off something else. And we've, we've lost all that. We have no idea what's going on. But when the universe suddenly becomes transparent, all of the light goes off through the universe, carrying information about that moment in time. That that's when it went, I'm bouncing around, bouncing around, and now I'm just going to go. And I've got whatever I was last doing with me, and that's what we see. Yeah. So when astronomers say we are seeing that early moment, that really early epoch, that's what they mean. Like yeah. The light is still carrying information about that really early moment of the universe, which is great. That's and so it, cool. It is, and it's, it's mind-blowing because we can't imagine the Big Bang as being a thing that happens in a bigger universe, right? This isn't kind of... I think there was a bubble of opaqueness and then it's that, that bubble became clear and the, and the photons escaped into the rest of the universe. This is, remember that we're always the, talking about whole universe. This is the universe. This is the whole, this is the whole thing. Yeah. yeah, it's just that the photons are now free to move throughout that whole universe as much as they, they want to. They yeah. just carry on. Including way across space and time to our telescopes where we can measure them and figure out stuff. Yeah. It almost feels a bit sad sometimes, I think, when we do astronomy because ultimately measurements in astronomy destroy photons, right? Mm. So sometimes I sort of feel like we just kind of ended that life of that photon and that's been traveling since the very beginning of the universe. Aren't we mean? (laughs) Is that a silly thing to think? No, I kind of see where you're going from there. Although there is a sense in in quantum physics that that built in to the photon itself, built built into the very notion of the photon, is its beginning and its end. Because you can only describe in quantum physics a photon as something which is created at some interaction and destroyed at another interaction. And so at the moment that the photon left its departure point when it was you know bounced off something and effectively created quantum mechanically at that point and it then got absorbed by one of our detectors that was always going to happen and i think quantum mechanically like (laughs) that blows my mind but that's the way you have to think about it in quantum physics it's crazy yeah crazy and you don't want to open up the can of worms of oh no fate and so on is that always going to happen but anyway free will what's that (laughs) but yeah so we have this recombination and i think This is the point to say, this is a real turning point for the universe. Up until this point, the universe has been dominated energetically by radiation. So radiation dominated universe. And there's been pretty much the same amount of matter and antimatter in the universe. So all particles that exist, which we call matter, um, have their own antiparticle. Uh, the probably the most familiar one that we have is the electron has right. a positron. Positron, an anti-electron. Yeah. Exactly the same as far as we can tell, except positive charge instead of negative charge. Yeah. yeah. So we have matter and antimatter. And if you put the electron and a positron together, they annihilate and you just get a bit of energy out. Yeah. Yeah. And annihilation sounds like a really violent thing. It's, you know, from a particle physics point of view, it's it's really simple. The electron's here, the positrons there they come together and they cease to exist and a photon appears Hmm. and that's all it is and that's a very small explosion but it's just it's just a thing it's just what happens and it happens in reverse as well right so a photon can just kind of turn into an electron and positron yeah that's one important thing that happened in the previous 300 something thousand years that has made every bit of difference to the universe we see around us today Mm -hmm. because if you take the subtlety of the point that if you have exactly the same number of matter particles and antimatter particles existent in the universe what's the average of those 
uh, well, zero. It's not because for every particle, there's an antiparticle, and so oh, so there shouldn't be anything. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, the universe shouldn't exist if you produce your matter and your antimatter in exactly the same proportions. Right. Okay. So hang on, hang on, hang on. Let's get this straight. Every particle has an antiparticle and there's no reason really to think of prior to this that we should have one other than the other, right? The laws of physics are sort of, as as we like to say, they're, they're symmetric that way. And so once it cools down enough, then you should have on average, the same amount of particles and antiparticles, and they all then annihilate, and there's nothing left. That's what we think probably should have happened. It's not what's happened, Emily, because I can see you. Because <laughs> <laughs> we all and exist as matter we're particles. we're here, we're matter, yeah. So for some reason, and a reason we don't understand, mm-hmm. a very, very tiny fraction more matter particles were produced in this early part of the universe than antimatter. Right. Tiny imbalance. Yeah, really small. Like, I can't remember the exact number, but it's one in the millions to billions of particles was just one extra. Right. And, like, by chance? We don't know. We don't really have a good explanation why there's more matter than antimatter. I mean, I guess there's two possibilities there, right, aren't there? That, That there's no deeper reason than... Well, I mean, maybe it wasn't exactly, you know, one one tiny little margin of error there leaves you with a tiny little bit more of what we now call matter, and that's what that's what we have left across the scale of the universe. You know, it's it's not terribly much, but it's what we what we have. The other possibility is that there is a much more fundamental reason in that that the laws of physics aren't balanced that way, that there's a tiny little difference between matter and antimatter. Both of those are really unsettling, actually, especially for a theoretical physicist, I think, because, you know, you want things to be some everything else in the universe seems to be very symmetric. It's very nice. It's very orderly. You know, we can our equations are nice broadly. They work. So why would there be an imbalance in one of them? That's worrying. Um, or you've got some kind of statistical over density of one which is just a random chance and then maybe if you think about that too much that's a little bit unsettling as well <laughs> hmm. yeah ne- neither one leaves you with a lot of a lot of confidence but it's i mean from a physics point of view it is utterly fascinating and there's an enormous amount of work that's been going on again for decades trying to really nail down well if the universe isn't symmetric in this way and symmetry in a in a sort of really abstract way what does that mean? And where do we find that? And how would we prove that? And there's loads of work and loads of experiments which are still hanging out there going, not sure, but we're working on it. Because it would be, you know, huge to mm. be able to nail that one down, to figure out why are we here? Yeah. <laughs> why are we here at all? We shouldn't be. Yeah, so I think anyone going into any kind of branch of theoretical physics, these are the big things that you can dedicate your entire lives to. Mm. And I'm not convinced you're going to get these out in the next few generations of scientists necessarily. But exciting stuff to work on. Yeah, big stuff. And I'm now thinking in terms of going back to the analogy to human children, you know, your future child. What what stage of development is this? Is this the point at which your child is now crawling around and you're looking at it going, what does it mean? How did this happen? <laughs> <laughs> How do you exist? How do I exist? Maybe that's it. It's the, it's the existential question of parenthood. 
Yeah, or maybe it's kind of like the personality of the universe has come through. Mm. How did you get like this? <laughs> where did that come from? <laughs> yeah, yeah. How's, where, where does the stubbornness come from? Oh, right, yeah, oh, yeah. the parents. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's interesting. So we transition now from the radiation-dominated universe to the matter-dominated. Uh, we go through a period of the universe's history which is basically going from now to from this 380,000 years after the Big Bang, kind of up to the first million years. So yeah, another chunk of time. We call this the Dark Ages. Mm, dark in the sense of not much light, dark in the sense of not a lot of learning and knowledge being produced. Well, well yeah, it's interesting because I believe that the term Dark Ages is applied to sort of medieval history is now kind of fallen out of favour. It's favor. a bit debunked, actually, yeah. I think, yes. Yeah. Yeah. There was a lot of really interesting stuff that people did during that period of time. However... I would argue that this is maybe what the intention was for the original Dark Ages. Right. Because it really is dark. Ah, okay. <laughs> Why so dark? Well, because you've not got anything sort of producing photons. Oh, I see. So atoms are allowed now and basic, you know, basic atoms, maybe a little bit of basic chemistry even perhaps. But the light that we see in the universe around us comes from like stars. Yeah. And they haven't happened yet. No, we don't have enough stuff together. So it's literally dark. Yeah. Right. Other than this background glow, which is probably not very bright. No, well, it's been already expanded so much that you're talking about photons that have been redshifted to yeah. at least the infrared. Yeah. Um, so they're just kicking around. But apart from that, there's no photons being produced at all. So, And we rely on photons to see yeah. stuff. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. That, that's what light is. Yeah. Isn't it amazing to think that if the universe hadn't been able to produce stars that would have been it yeah that would have been it just this wash of atoms and cooling radiation and then that's it we're done that's that's it for the history of the universe but that's not what happened no no we had about a million uh, sorry 100 million years after the big bang then we got the first baby oh. stars that to me seems like a story for another time yes but what was it? It's a, you know it's flicking on the light switch of the mm. first few stars, and we call this reionization of the universe because we've now got a new energy source, we've got new photons, and the universe is free to develop and grow in a new phase of its life. And the universe goes, "Phew, that's a relief. <laughs> Phew, got away with that one." Because yeah. I mean, like that's that's just too depressing to think about. If that hadn't happened, was all of that, all of that, you know inflation and the, the the separation of the forces and everything for it to then just and we're done that's it it's just dark now dark and forever expanding into the void but then bing these little lights come on bing and the universe is now full of full of stars baby yeah. stars yeah it's nice isn't it yeah. so you know maybe the like maybe fairy our, lights a little baby is kind of up and walking and <laughs> starting to be independent in the world and the universe and turning on light switches <laughs> that's what it's doing Well, what an epic way to come back into producing the Syzygy podcast. It's really good to be back, and it's really good to be back, Emily, with such a, a big story about a big baby, a big, <laughs> big baby universe. There's a lot that has just happened in the infancy of, of the universe. That was, that was exciting. <laughs> but to get to that point of those, those early stars, bing, coming on, I think we're going to have to come back to that one. Is, so, but it's not baby stars next, is it? Are well, we do I think maybe we next? should do first stars. That would be quite a 
quite a nice follow-on, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, from a narrative point of view, maybe yeah. that's where we are. Okay, well, that's something to look forward to next time. Listen, Emily, it is so good to be back. And we do have a couple of ideas for shows coming up. But look, if people wanted to get in touch with us to talk to us about, about this episode... Or indeed, ideas for other episodes or questions that you've got about what's going on in the universe around you. Or indeed, anything else. Even if it's just to welcome us back. Wish me a happy next half of a century and wish Emily an enjoyable whatever's coming next. Because it's going to be a fun ride. Hopefully it doesn't start with a big bang. <laughs> yeah, well, hopefully not. Um, Emily, is there a way that people could conceivably get in touch with Just them? a couple. Mm-hmm. Just a couple. So you can start on Twitter. Yep. So we're at SyzygyPod, S-Y-Z-Y-G-Y-P-O-D. Yep. Take a break from all the other craziness that's happening on Twitter in the world around us and come and do some astro-nerding with us, SyzygyPod. Where else can they find us? So we're on the Instagrams. We are. Which I believe yeah. has to be pluralised. Uh, yes, the Instagrams. That's the way it works. Yes, I thought yeah. so. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Facebook. Mm-hmm. You can just shove in Syzygy Podcast. Yeah, you'll find we- us. That Google, you can Google Syzygy Podcast and it gets to us as yeah. well. Lovely website, as you say. It's fancy, new, just paid for, shiny. Yes, I you mean, know. it's the same old website, but it's still running is the point. Well, <laughs> you know, you've just yeah. kind of polished it up. and it That's looks, an important yeah. thing. Yeah, no, yeah, no yeah. dust on it anymore. No, no dust and the electrons being paid for by our fabulous Patreon supporters. So, yeah, that's over there at Syzygy.fm. Um, and there is a contact page there as well if you want to just send something our way. And can I just say, I did notice mm-hmm. you can also get merch. That's right. We do have Syzygy merch because that's a thing that podcasts do, right? Yeah. That's a thing that happens on the internet. So if you go to the website, you can go and find our merch page. And we've got Syzygy-themed stuff. Including tiny newborn baby girls. Yes. Well, I mean, you can look, you know, it's all done through a, a wonderful site called Redbubble, if you if you know it. Um, so go and check that out. And there's all sorts of other science nerdy stuff there as well. So check out our merch page. Um, if you want to support the show, a bunch of different ways you can do that. The biggest one is just tell everyone that you know that it exists. Tell people that there's a thing called the Syzygy Podcast and help us raise the profile and, and get the word out. You can leave us a review on your podcast, Chaser of Choice. Give us some stars and a couple of words, and that helps us to rise up through the noise. Or head over to the aforementioned patreon.com and become a financial supporter of the show for just the price of a coffee. You can help us to keep the electrons flowing and doing things in the big wide world of, who knows, maybe one day another live show. But otherwise, we should probably bring this epic episode to an end. So, Emily, I'll see you again really soon where we continue our discussion of baby and infant things in the cosmos. What do you reckon? Sounds brilliant. Sounds really good. Lovely to be back. Really nice to see you, Emily. Bye, everybody. See you in a week or so. See you later. Bye. Bye.